You are listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 98. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City story universe. You can find more of my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. This is the show where I share my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk, and keep you up to date on my life and my writing. So, let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you the conclusion of my Metamorph City short story, Fire in the Sky. If you haven't listened to episodes 96 and 97 yet, you should go back and catch up before continuing on with this week's episode. Because this is a short story, I'm not going to spend time doing a recap. So, here's part three. Enjoy. Fire in the Sky A Tale of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester Part 3 For a long, heart-stopping moment, Liam and his men just stared at the beast in dumbstruck horror. It rose out of the center of the vortex, a serpentine mass of weirdly iridescent colors, glittering black and green and purple like a starling's feathers. And then it kept rising, on and on and on. It was insanely, impossibly large, larger than any creature that had ever existed on the material plane, larger than any creature that could exist. It flew through the air as effortlessly as an albatross, though it had no visible means of support. Its short, stubby legs ended in fearsome claws, but it had nothing like the bat-like wings of the western dragons back home. It let out an unearthly screech, high and metallic and soul-churning. And then it turned in mid-air and began flying toward the airships. By the stars, Liam whispered. What in all the hells is that? one of his men cried. Liam swallowed and found that his mouth had suddenly gone dry. I expect that's what you get when dragons dream of monsters. That thing's from fairy. The other man's eyes went even wider. He made the sign of the yew tree. The spakes summoned a fey dragon? Are they insane? Liam let out a small bark of hysterical laughter. It's only insane if it doesn't work. Come on. They ran back to the quarterdeck, where the captain was fielding panicked calls from the other surviving ships in the fleet. With Admiral Ballantyne gone, he was the next most senior officer on the mission. The junior captains apparently expected him to pull off a miracle. Only we used up all our miracles just getting this far, Liam thought. Liam caught the captain's eye as he approached. The captain pulled a lever and silenced the speaking tube, cutting off one of the other captains in mid-histrionics. He seemed torn between anger at Liam for overlooking the ambush and desperate hope that his young seer might have a way out of this. Major, the captain said, composed as always. Sir, Liam said, saluting quickly, the spakes have summoned that beast from Ferry. We've no hope of outrunning it, sir. We have to act now. The captain shot a quick look to aft, 
evidently judging the creature's distance. I'm listening. Cold iron, Liam said. It burns the fey. The round shot, they're solid iron. They'll have the best chance of penetrating the beast's hide. Tell the fleet to come about and give that monster a full broadside. The captain looked at him sharply. Think carefully, Major. If you're wrong, hundreds of men are about to die. Hundreds of men are about to die regardless, sir, Liam said. The words came out a lot calmer than he had expected. But they cannot fire their guns at it if they're running away. The captain made to argue again, and Liam held up a hand. Sir, we need the fleet to give us a diversion or we don't stand a chance. Hope warred with suspicion on the captain's weathered face. A diversion? And what do you mean for us to do? Liam told them. To his credit, the old man did not laugh in his face. Let no one say you lack for courage, son, the captain said. Liam bowed his head. Sir. The captain turned to the helmsman. Helm, come about 140 degrees to port. The helmsman looked over his shoulder at the enormous dragon thing in the distance. He swallowed visibly, but he nodded. 140 to port, aye, sir. The captain reopened the speaking tubes and set them for fleet-wide broadcast. He pulled the lever for the steam whistle, which sent a long, loud signal through the tubes that silenced all other chatter. Attention all ships, the captain said. This is Captain Barrett Drowling of the Phantasm. Run out your port guns and arm them with round shot only. Begin turning to port at two degrees per second and prepare to fire a full broadside at the target. Increase following distance between ships to 1,000 feet. Captain Nielsen of the Relentless, move your ship into position at the head of the fleet. Do not attempt to follow the phantasm. He paused a moment, then added, If this doesn't work, it was an honor serving with you all. Drowling out. As the ship came about, and the rest of the fleet prepared to fire their broadside, Liam gathered his point defenders and explained the plan. Considering that Liam had put it together in less than five minutes, it didn't take much explaining. I'm not sure we can do this, sir, said Harold, one of his air mages. We've never tried anything like it before. You can, and you will, Liam said, in what he hoped was a confident enough tone of voice. Now go get the rug from the captain's quarters, and be quick about it. While Liam's men wrestled the captain's prized Kelware rug out of his cabin, the phantasm continued putting distance between itself and the rest of the fleet. The ship approached the casting circle at an angle, heading southeast, while the rest of the fleet came to a halt almost due west of the circle. The fey dragon noticed. It had been flying straight toward the fleet, but when the phantasm broke away while the other ships stopped to wait for it, the beast seemed to hesitate. It let out another screech and turned in a slow circle, as if considering its options. It was the moment the fleet had been waiting for. As one, the surviving ships unleashed a full, deafening broadside at the dragon. The 28-pounders were made for attacking stationary targets, not living creatures, so their accuracy left a lot to be desired. But the dragon was a big target, and it was now less than three miles away. Some of the cannonballs struck true, and when they did, gouts of black smoke erupted from the monster's hide. The dragon shrieked in pain and outrage, then wheeled in mid-air and charged the line of airships. 
It spat a blast of fire at one of the vessels. The bundle of arcane flames looked like a meteor, streaking across the intervening space without paying the slightest attention to gravity. The blast struck the airship's capsule and exploded, rupturing all but two of the hydrogen cells and sending the ship plummeting to Earth. Hurry, lads, hurry, Liam urged. His men laid out the rug on the quarterdeck, and Liam knelt down in the middle of it. He pressed his hands to the fabric and whispered an adherence charm. Immediately, his hands, knees, and feet were fixed in place, tightly bound to the rug's surface. Harold and three of the other aircasters took up positions at the corners of the rug, and as one, they pointed their daggers at their feet, locking themselves into position with their own charms. Ready, sir, Harold said, though his widened eyes and trembling voice said he really wasn't. Liam's stomach did a quick flip-flop, but he nodded. Do it, laddie. The air mages called up their mana and channeled it into the rug beneath their feet. Liam felt a sharp, wobbly jerk of movement, and then the rug lifted off the quarterdeck. Several of the other airmen looked on, with expressions that ranged from elation to dread. Liam gave them all a brash smile. Who says you need an air spirit to make a flying carpet? Let's go, lads! The aircasters let out a whoop in response, and with a rush of conjured wind, the carpet shot out into the open sky. The experience quickly wiped the smile off Liam's face. Being on an airship was bad enough. Riding on a flying carpet, at four times an airship's speed, and with nothing but his own magic to keep him from falling off, Liam discovered a level of terror he had never before experienced. The carpet rose and fell, pitched and rolled in the shifting desert air currents, and each time Liam screamed and cursed as his arcane foresight treated him to an endless succession of gruesome possible deaths. The dragon whipped its head around, its eye drawn by the sudden motion of the carpet. Liam threw furtive looks over his shoulder, trying to gauge the great worm's reaction. For five heart-pounding seconds, the beast hovered in midair, its huge yellow eye staring at them. Then it circled back around and returned its attention to the fleet. Stars above! It worked, Liam thought. His improvised magic carpet might not have been pretty, but it was close enough that the dragon had mistaken him for one of its master's allies. That would buy them some time to do what they had to do. I just hope we still have a fleet at the end of it. The cannons fired again, and the dragon bellowed in response. Liam was too far away now to see how much damage they had done, but he didn't have much hope that they would be able to kill the beast. No, if they had any chance of getting out of this, it would lie with Liam and his team. The words of the man in the green suit came back to him. You must ask yourself what it wants more than anything in the world. Bloody hells, I hope I'm right about what that is. The mesa loomed in front of them. Winds whipped around the mountain in a fierce cyclone driven by the energies coming from the portal. The carpet hit the outer edge of the whirlwind and was ripped savagely to the right, with such force that Liam almost blacked out. The carpet tumbled in a sideways roll and nearly fell out of the sky entirely, but Harold and his air mages valiantly fought back control and managed to right their little craft before it crashed. Liam's stomach heaved, but his adherence charm still held, and he forced down the gorge in his throat as they began to rise again, circling the mesa counterclockwise. Another boom echoed across the desert. 
Liam looked up and saw that the dragon had caught one of the airships in its claws and popped the lift capsule like a child's party balloon. The hydrogen burst into flames around the beast, which didn't seem bothered by the flames in the slightest. It grabbed the canvas of the capsule in its jaws and shook it, the way a dog might shake a rabbit. Liam's stomach lurched again. At last, his companion set down the carpet at the top of the mesa, twenty or thirty yards from the edge of the casting circle. The five wizards dismissed their adherence charms and ran toward the line of arcane symbols. "'What do you see, Major?' Harold asked, as they closed to within a few yards of the nearest sigil. Liam took a deep breath and braced himself. "'This isn't going to be pleasant.' Then he opened his aura sight and stared into the vortex. The surge of arcane power struck him like a giant's fist. He staggered backward, but he kept his feet under him, kept his eyes on the flow of the mana around him. The Espakan spellweave flowed over and through him, intricate patterns as subtle and sophisticated as anything he'd ever encountered. While the meaning of the sigils was unknown to him, the magic itself had to obey certain fundamental principles and laws, and now that the incantation had been triggered, Liam's foresight showed him what it was designed to do. Below the fear, below the desperation, Liam felt a new respect for the Espakan magic tradition. Metamorian wizards often looked down on the Espakans for their heavy use of sorcery and their reliance on captured elemental spirits, both of which seemed like cheating from a wizardly perspective. But the incantation Liam was looking at now was shockingly complex by any standard. It created a channel to the dreamlands, called a specific type of creature to pass through the vortex, and bound it to a detailed set of compulsions, including a maximum distance it could travel, and what sorts of prey it was permitted to attack. Essentially, the spell circle was both a trap and a contract. It lured the dragon inside it, then charged the creature with a set of tasks to fulfill in order to gain its freedom. It was so outrageously daring that Liam could hardly believe someone had attempted it. Even more shocking, it apparently had worked exactly as intended. This is the most beautifully devilish thing I've ever seen, Liam told the others. I doubt there's a wizard in all the Empire who could replicate it. Yes, yes, all fine, one of the aircasters said impatiently. But can we break it? Liam grinned. Oh, aye. That's much easier. Come on. They moved around the perimeter of the circle, pausing at each of the sigils in turn. At each one, Liam consulted his foresight, imagining what would happen if they were to break the incantation at that point. Most of these options would end in disaster. The vortex could collapse, trapping the dragon here, or it would explode, killing Liam and everyone else in the vicinity, or the beast's targeting restrictions would be released freeing it to wreak havoc across the world. Each horrific vision played out in Liam's mind in less than a second, and then they ran on. They had gone nearly a third of the way around the huge circle when they found it, the sigil controlling the conditions for the dragon's release back to the dreamlands. Here we are, lads. Unravel it at this spot. The aircasters raised their daggers, which glowed with the light of their auras as they guided their mana into the blades. Liam, as a watercaster, was not well equipped for disrupting an active spell working, so he raised his chalice and started weaving a channel, a path for the mana to follow once the spell was disrupted. Granted, he had never tried to direct this much mana before, 
but this was turning out to be a day of new experiences for all of them. It'll be quite the debriefing, he thought, if and we survive. He wove the channel into place, as big and strong as he could make it, and then stepped back. Ready, he called. In unison, the aircasters struck out with their blades, slashing across the shimmering field of magic directly above the sigil. There was a blinding burst of light, a clap of thunder, and for an instant the fierce winds around the circle grew still as the mana from the broken sigil traveled through Liam's channel and into the earth. The vortex became calm and flat, an expanse of gently floating clouds of light and darkness. Then, gradually, the winds shifted in the opposite direction. Liam felt an unseen force began to tug on him, pulling him toward the infinite depths of the vortex. And the force was growing stronger. Let's get hold of here, lads, Liam shouted. As one, they ran back to the carpet, fast as their legs could carry them. The winds continued to grow stronger, even as they moved further away from the circle. Liam threw himself into the middle of the carpet and quickly cast the adherence charm, though his voice shook as he spoke the words. Harold and his men locked themselves in place and began weaving the air spell to lift the carpet. Even before they finished casting the spell, the carpet began inching backwards, sliding over the rocky surface of the mesa, dragged by the pull of the vortex. Faster, lads, faster, Liam muttered. This isn't as easy as the Wazis make it look. Harold protested, through gritted teeth. Thirty more seconds and we'll be flying one way or another, Liam snapped. Come on, lads. Espaco's far enough from home. We don't need a trip to ferry. As one, the aircasters gave a shout of effort, and the carpet rose and shot off into the sky. Almost immediately the wind of the vortex caught them, and they began circling it, the force of the spell trying mightily to pull them inside. It's too strong, Harold shouted. I can't steer us away. Liam had a sudden inspiration. More speed, lads. Don't try to pull away. Just go as fast as you can in a straight line. Harold's voice brightened in realization. Yes. Come on, boys. Give it all you've got. With grunts of exertion, the aircasters channeled more power into their spell. The carpet moved faster and faster, and with the vortex tugging them ever inward, they spun in a circular path, like a rock in a sling. They rolled the carpet onto its side, so the force from the vortex was pulling down on them, through the base of the carpet, and the world rushed past them sideways. The strain was incredible, and Liam's vision started to grow dark around the edges, but he did not pass out. They were orbiting the circle so fast now that Liam could only catch brief flashes of what was happening around him, but when they came around to the side facing the fleet, he saw the dragon flying toward them. You must ask yourself what it wants more than anything in the world, the man in the green suit had said. For Liam, stuck in a hostile desert 8,000 miles from Metamore, the answer to that riddle was obvious. It wants to go home. The force of the vortex grew stronger, and the aircasters poured on more speed to compensate. It was just enough to keep them in a steady orbit, neither moving closer to the vortex nor further away. They whipped around the circle two more times, then three, then four, and then a mountain of shimmering scales rushed past them, tossing them around like dandelion seeds in its wake. The enormous dragon let out a deafening screech, perhaps in joy or triumph, 
and then disappeared into the swirling clouds of the vortex. An instant later, there was another clap of thunder, and the vortex vanished. The effect on the carpet was immediate. Released from the vortex's steady pull, Liam and his companions were hurled out into empty space like a cannonball. Instead of feeling as though he were seven or eight times his natural weight, Liam felt suddenly weightless, which was just another way of saying he was in free fall, and the rocky floor of the desert was getting closer, very fast. Harold? Liam cried, his voice high with panic. We're working on it, Harold shouted back. Give us a minute. I dinna think we have a minute, laddie. We're going too fast, one of the other aircasters said. We need something to slow us down. The words triggered one last flash of prophetic insight. Liam pushed back his terror, summoned all the mana he could muster, and cast a spell. A glistening orb of water popped into existence around them, a nearly perfect sphere about twelve feet wide. A smaller bubble of air inside it surrounded Liam and the other four men, forming a rippling shell of water, perhaps three feet thick. The water immediately caught the rushing air around them and started bleeding off speed, shedding water droplets and leaving a trail of clouds behind them. The ground was still rushing towards them, but not nearly as fast as before, and their forward momentum decreased with every second. Harold eyed the ground coming up ahead of them. He adjusted their course slightly, aiming for a relatively flat expanse without any large boulders. Hold it together, boys! Hold it together! Liam gritted his teeth and focused on his water spell, holding the weave as tightly as he could. The impact came faster than Liam had expected, and the shock of it rattled through his whole body. The orb of water bounced over the desert like a rubber ball, tossing around the carpet and its occupants like dice in a cup. They bounced four, five, six times, then rolled for another fifty or sixty yards before finally, mercifully, coming to a stop. Exhausted and relieved, head spinning, Liam let go of the spell, and they collapsed to the desert earth in a splash of water. He must have passed out then, because the next thing he knew, the sun was already sinking below the horizon, and Liam was in a stretcher being carried up the gangplank of his ship. The phantasm sat at anchor on the desert floor, surrounded by the remnants of their flotilla. Liam lifted his head, weakly, and looked around. Of the twenty-four ships they had started with, ten had survived. Well, he thought, that's better than we thought we'd do when this all started. The captain was waiting on the deck when they lifted him aboard. Immediately he rushed to Liam's side and gripped his hand. You did it, son, he said, his voice thick with suppressed emotion. By Richter and all the gods, you did it. Weakly, Liam raised his other hand to his forehead in a salute. We all did it, sir. Captain Drowling almost laughed. Quite so, quite so. He turned to the airman carrying the stretcher. Take the major and his men to the medical bay. He looked up at the helmsman. And set course for Axum. The sooner we're out of this damned desert, the better. Aye, aye, Captain, the helmsman called. All around him, the crew of the phantasm set to work, getting the ship ready to go aloft. Liam laid back his head and closed his eyes. 
If the fates were kind, they would be back in friendly territory before sunrise. Getting them there safely would be up to the fleet's other heroes. As the past day had shown him, they had no shortage of them. They laid Liam on a cot in the crew quarters, just outside the medical bay, and there he drifted off to sleep. In his dreams, he saw the goateed man with the green suit. He sat at Liam's bedside, held his hand, and smiled. Well done, my boy, the man said fondly. We are going to have such fun together, you and I. But if the man said anything more, Liam did not remember it. The End And that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. If this is your first exposure to Metamore City, and you'd like to learn more about Liam Ardtaxis, check out the short story Make Believe, which you can find in the Urban Legends Story Collection, and in special episodes 3 and 4 of the Metamore City podcast. His story continues in the novel Things Unseen, and in A Wizard Family Solstice, both of which aired on this podcast. Artax also appears in the short story The Muse, and the novel Making the Cut, though in both of those cases he's moving the story forward for other characters, but not really showing much of his own story. And stay subscribed to this feed, because I've got another of Artax's adventures coming in the near future. Lloyd Alexander said, Fantasy is hardly an escape from reality. It's a way of understanding it. So, grab your reality fantasy translation book, assuming it's still functional, with all the craziness happening in our world these days, and follow me to our weekly writing report. I wrote 2,328 words this week, over the course of four hours, for an average writing speed of 582 words per hour. I broke my chain on Wednesday, ending 148 consecutive days of writing. The reason I broke my chain this week is because I spent Wednesday through Friday working on two important projects. First, I was getting things ready for the Metamore City Live show at Balticon. This year we have a two-hour block for the event, so after the live audio drama, we're going to have a Q&A session, a preview of The Lost and the Least, and a Metamore City trivia competition. It all starts at 7 p.m. on Sunday, May 28th. If you're coming to Balticon this year, I hope you'll join us. The second project this week is that I finally finished up and submitted the files to Audible for the Things Unseen audiobook. I initially sent these files in at the end of March, but they got rejected because of some technical details, and it took a while to figure out what the problem was. I think we've got everything sorted out now, so hopefully the book will be available for purchase before Balticon. I'll let you know when it goes on sale. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, the fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and my Twitter handle is Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. 
If you like this show, take a minute and leave me a review on iTunes. It makes a big difference in helping people find the podcast. Or support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. That's our show for this week. I'll be back next time with more writing goodness. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2017 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.